0: On. All right. Well, good morning, Ironworks Church. Um, for those that might not know me, my name is Joshua Olson. I'm one of the elders and the director of congregational care here at Ironworks. I just want to thank you for joining us, uh, whether you're here in person or you're tuning in via the live stream. Um, we're, we're very grateful that you are joining in with us today. Uh, are there any kids here today? Yes, Owen, I see you over there. Keith, yes. Uh, There's several adult children here. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Uh, We want to thank you, all of you kids, whether you're young or old, um, for being here as well. Do you have your, your doodle guide? You have your doodle guide? Yeah. Awesome. Great. So what I want you to do today is I want you to listen carefully. I want you to try to complete the drawings when you're prompted, and if you are able to listen carefully and keep quiet and complete your drawings, then you'll get a wonderful prize at the end of the service. All right? Does that sound good? Oh, and parents, just so you know, the prize does have small parts in it, so it is a choking hazard. So please, if you have very young children, only allow them to have the prize with parental supervision. All right. So we're going to be talking about David again today. And David's this intriguing guy, right? He's both incredibly wise and often just really, really dumb. He's very strong militarily. Like he can defeat any foe that comes up against him. Giants, armies, bow before him. But he's often a weak father. He loves God deeply, deeply in his heart and soul, wanting to obey and love and serve God. But he's also deeply flawed and makes some pretty spectacular ways of failing. So let's get into this story, shall we? If you are able, please stand as we Uh, listen to the book that we love as Mark reads it for us this morning.
1: Good morning. I'll be reading 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 1 through 17 from the English Standard Version. Now When the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body as I took it from Saul, who I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Thank you, Mark. You may be seated. I remember um, a few years ago walking into emergency room, number six, with tightness in my chest and a, a lump in my throat. When I walked in, My two friends were sitting on the stretcher next to their baby who was lifeless and blue. It's a mother and a father's worst nightmare. How How can someone possibly get through such a horrific tragedy like this? How can someone bear up under the immense grief that you would feel at that moment. I believe that this text actually holds the answer for us. So I want you to listen and listen carefully so that you, when you are in that situation, can find the answer. So even though I'm decidedly not handy, Um, I think the most complex thing I've ever built is an Ikea wardrobe. Um, I also have built some of those Pinewood Derby cars, and those are pretty complex, too. Um, But um, our story is about building. It's about building houses. And as we consider this, this building of houses, we will look at three different things. First, we'll look at the fact that David says to the Lord that he will build a house for the Lord. Second, we'll look at how the Lord responds to David and he says, no, you won't build me a house. I will build you a house. And then finally, we'll consider what it is, the cost for building a house. What is the cost for building a house? So first, David says he will build a house for the Lord. So our story begins with David kind of relaxing in his newly finished cedar home. He's, uh, he's kicking back, um, sitting out on the porch, just enjoying the work of his hands. Have you ever felt that, that, that joy of when this, this blank canvas comes to life, after you've built something, and you can see it, and touch it, and feel it, and just enjoy the work of your hands. And that's what David's doing right here. He is sitting back, enjoying the fact that he has built this beautiful house for him and his family. So kids, your first drawing prompt is to draw David relaxing in a huge house or palace. So, draw that for us. Now, but David's joy is interrupted very quickly by this unsettling thought that comes into his mind. He is sitting here living in this large cedar house, and he remembers that the ark that he just brought up into Jerusalem is dwelling in a tent made out of curtains. And so he, he goes to his counselor and, his, and the resident prophet in, in Jerusalem, Nathan, and he says in verse 2, See now, I, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So I know it's pretty back-to-back here, kids. So once you finish drawing David relaxing in his house, the second drawing that I want you to do is to draw... The ark of God in a tent. Draw the ark of God in a tent. And the ark is just this cube-like thing um, with some angels on top of it. And so Nathan says to the king, go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Um, Nathan gives his hearty approval to the king. This is a wonderful gesture And it's a great desire of David to want to honor the Lord. And and Nathan is probably thinking back as he remembers the Torah to Deuteronomy 12.10, which says, now you will cross the Jordan and live in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he will give you rest from all of your surrounding enemies so that you live in security. Does that sound familiar? That's because the exact same phrase is found in our text. It says the Lord had given David rest from all of his surrounding enemies. But Deuteronomy 12.10 goes on to verse 11 when it says, Then it will be that the place in which the Lord your God will choose for his name to dwell. So David and Nathan probably have in their mind and heart that now is the place now is the time when God will settle in. He will find a place to dwell in the midst of Israel. And, and this is, it's, it's a good and generous thing to want to worship in a generous way, to exalt the name of God, right? And we should all have the same desire that David has. He wants to build this house for God. But there is a problem. There is a problem. And God responds to David and says, no. The Lord comes to Nathan in the night with a vision. And he says to Nathan, go tell David, would you build me a house? Do you think you can build me a house? I haven't lived in a house all these years. I've wandered around with my people, Israel, in this tent, and I don't have a desire to live in a, tent, in a house, and I never said to any of the other leaders, why hasn't anyone built me a cedar house? And as we, as we look at this, why is God saying this to David? Why is God saying, no, 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 no? Because it seems like a very good gesture, right? Right? There are two reasons that I can see from the scriptures that the Lord stops David from building this house. And the first one is simply this. God does not need a house. How can anyone, anywhere, build a house for a being who is omnipresent? who is omnipotent, who is infinite and vast. In fact, it is in him that we move and have our being. So who can give to God anything that he doesn't already own? And the reason why God instructed Moses to construct a tent, a tabernacle for the house of the ark, was so that as the people are moving from Egypt into the wilderness, and into the promised land that his presence would be with Israel so that he would show the people of Israel with this, this, um, this symbol of the ark that God is with his people. It's not because he needed a tent. He wanted to show his people that he was with them. And so I wonder if you've ever felt this conundrum in your own mind and heart. How can I serve God? He doesn't need anything. He doesn't even want anything. Everything that that he needs or wants, he finds within himself. So how can I give to God? How can I serve God? We'll also answer this question in a little bit. So hang on to it. So, the second reason that God gives to David why he can't build him a house is found in another passage. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, and this is David speaking, and he says, I had it in my heart to build a house for the, for, the, for the name of the Lord my God, but this word of the Lord came to me, and the Lord said, you have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight." So the reason why God is telling David you can't build him a house is because David has bloody hands. He's got blood all over his hands. And the Lord would not allow a man stained by bloodshed to build a holy place for the name of the Lord to dwell. So God doesn't need it, and David has blood on his hands. But then, moving along, the Lord says to David, starting in verse 8, he says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones on the earth. And moving forward to, to verse 11, and he says, I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you you a house. So the Lord, instead of rebuking David here, what he does is he retraces the mercy and the generosity that he has shown to David. And basically what he's saying is, not only do I not need a house of cedar for you to build for me, but you, David, have needed me your entire life. It was I who chose you from among the sheep to be prince over my people. It was I who cut off all of your enemies. And it, was, and it is I who gives you rest now. And I will be the one who builds you a house. I don't need you, David. You need me. And that is what is true for David is also true for each and one, every one of us here God doesn't need you, but you have come here this morning with an unquenchable need for God. So how will God build a house for David? How will he build a house? In verse 12, it says this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father's, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. How many of you have watched the movie Inception? Anyone? All right, several people. Very good. So... For those of you who haven't seen the movie Inception, it's, it's about these characters who are able to infiltrate people's dreams. And what's interesting is they, it gets more and more complicated as you go in, and this, these people infiltrate people's dreams, but then within that dream, they infiltrate the dreams of the person in the dream, and then they infiltrate the dreams of the dream of the dream. Follow me? Probably not. Probably not. So um, there's inception going on here, but it's also, have you ever seen those Russian dolls where there's a large doll and then you open it up and there's a smaller doll inside and then there's a smaller doll and a smaller doll and a smaller doll. So inside of the doll, there's a doll. Inside of the doll, there's a doll. Inside of the doll, there's a doll. The doll, there's a doll. And I'm not sure if you caught it here, but the Lord is doing some inception. Um, He is saying to David, listen, David, I'm going to build you a house, and it's through the house that I build for you that I'm going to build my house. There's a house, and a house, and a house. I'm going to build you, David, a house, and it's through your house that I will build my house. Does that make sense? Follow me? There's some inception going on. It can be you have to watch Inception twice in order to understand it, and you still don't understand it. Um, so I totally get it if, if it's a little confusing, but just follow with me. The, the third point here that I want to consider is the cost of building a house. In Luke 14, Jesus is teaching his followers about discipleship and he says uh, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it otherwise when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish all those who see it begin to mock him saying ha look at this guy he began to build but wasn't able to finish so kids this is your third drawing And what I want you to do is I want you to draw a person counting money, counting money. So have you ever been um, in the situation where you're trying to make some renovations to your house and you set a budget and it's right here and you begin the project and soon you find that the cost of stuff, the cost of labor is soon exceeding your budget, and that can be really, really disheartening, Um, and it can cause delays, um, waiting for the capital to be there, or you have to take out loans. It's just an awful situation, right? (laughs) Um, I, I know a friend who's going through this right now, so it can be very, very discouraging, and Jesus' words are wise. With any commitment that we have, we need to consider the cost of that commitment. Whether it's a cost of time, this is going to cost me this much time that I have to invest in this particular commitment. Or it's a commitment of energy, whether it's emotional energy, spiritual energy, or physical energy, or just the cost of money. Like, you have to consider all of these things in any kind of commitment. And I'm sure that David was considering the cost that it would, that it would uh, incur him for building the house for God. In fact, I know that to be true because the Bible says so. In First Chronicles chapter 28, verse 2, it says, David says, I had it in my heart to build a house for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. And I made preparations for building. So he, he counted, he made, drew out the plans, made sure he had the, the materials, made sure he had counted all of the costs. He had made the preparations for the house of the Lord. But what about, what about the Lord? What about God? What was the cost of building a house For David, what was the cost for God for building a house for David, who would end up building a house for God? Well, listen. Listen to what God says. He says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. And I, oh, and he shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father. And he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What is God saying here? He's saying six different things to David. One, that he's going to build a house for David. Two, that it will be one of David's offspring. Three, that he will build a house for the name of the Lord. Four, that the son of David will have God as his father. And so he will be the son of God. Five, because of sin, because of iniquity, this son will be wounded by the wooden shaft of men and with flogging by the sons of men. And six, this son will establish the house and kingdom of David forever. So, remember those Russian dolls and how God is building a house, who's building a house, that will build a house? Prophecy can also have this kind of cadence to it as well, where the Lord is making a prophecy and there's immediate fulfillment, but partial, it's not complete. So we see this in the son of David, Solomon, who does build a beautiful, grand temple for God, but it's not complete. So within that prophecy, you take out the doll, and there's another doll until you get to the very specific fulfillment of this prophecy. And where do we see this? This is in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember those two reasons that the Lord gave to David for him not to build a house for him? One, he doesn't need a house because he's omnipotent. And two, David has blood on his hands. God addresses both of these concerns in this prophetic word to David. How? First, God wants to build a house through the son of David, the son of God, that will expand throughout the entire earth. See, in Mark 15, 38, it says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, putting to end the period where God would live in a house. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you, Ironworks Church, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus being himself the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together and grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In Christ, you also, Ironworks Church, are being built up together into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. This was God's plan, that you, Ironworks Church, would be the dwelling place of God that his church would be his dwelling place, and that his presence would fill the entire earth as the church fills the earth. Number two, David had blood on his hands. God's answer to this is this. The son of God, the son of David, took David's blood, and he had it on his hands all of David's sin, all of David's impurity, all of his blood on him on the cross. This, this Ironworks Church is the cost that God incurred to build a house for David. The life of the innocent, precious Son of God. Hebrews 4 We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but without sin. He doesn't have any blood on his hands. He has no sin in his heart, but Christ offered himself as a bloody sacrifice so that we could be pure. What does this mean for us this morning, Ironworks Church? It means this, 3,000 years ago, the Lord had you in his mind when he was laying the plans for his house. When he was making those preparations, he saw each and every one of you as the building blocks of his dwelling place. He wanted you to be a part of it. And if you are here this morning and you don't identify as a Christian, he's inviting you to be a part of his house. And if you would come to Christ, he would make you clean. He would take all of your sin, forgive you and make you righteous. And his spirit would dwell in you. And what else does this mean, Ironworks Church? It means that God's spirit... Who's the comforter, the advocate, and the gift giver dwells in you. And so he gives you gifts. We can't serve God because he doesn't need anything, right? That's the problem. That's one of the problems we encountered here. How can David serve God? Because he doesn't need anything. How can we serve God? Because he gives us gifts to serve one another. And in each one of you dwells the Spirit of God. And so we can serve God as we serve each other. And it means this. It means when I walk into emergency room number six and I see my friends on the stretcher holding their lifeless infant in their arms, I don't enter into a place of utter despair. But I walk into the presence of God. The presence of God comforting this grieving couple. Bringing them to a place of prayer and even worship. The supernatural comfort of God was so tangible in that place right then, right there that I felt like I needed to take off my shoes. God was there in the midst of this person's most horrific day, enabling them to worship. And that is what each and one of you have this morning in God's spirit so that we could all enjoy sweet, wonderful, blessed communion with God. So let's do that. Let's come to this table. Let us enjoy sweet, sweet communion with God this morning.